Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a realm where reality intertwines with the inexplicable, where the boundaries of reason dissolve into the shadows of uncertainty. Welcome to the political twilight zone. I am your guide to this enigmatic labyrinth, where politics and power take on life of their own. In this dimension, the threads of truth weave a tapestry of intrigue, challenging our perception of the world we thought we knew. In this world, nothing is as it seems, and the truth lies buried beneath layers of deceit. Prepare to venture where reason meets the unexplained, and where the unexplained might just be. Hi, everybody. We're back here, back at our home base, I have to say. It's uh, nice to be back. I was uh, broadcasting from a, a different location last week, and it was uh, it was challenging. But we're working through it, and I'm glad to be back here, where we just have to put up the occasional person who is uh, trying to uh, run a drag strip outside the studio. But other than that, it's not too bad. Uh, when we're happy to be back here with you. Um, I enjoyed being out of town for a little bit and getting a little flavor from other places and then bringing it to the show. We are on 1100, and, of course, uh, I want to say, can I make sure I get my numbers right here? Every so often I feel like, uh-oh, did I get the number right? Yeah, we're 1192.7, and over on KGLN we're at 980 and 101.3. For some reason, if I don't check every so often for the 92.7, I'll say it is 97.2. I don't know what's wrong with me. There are so many things, really, that it, it's hard to narrow it down. But uh, in that area, I don't know exactly what that is. But uh, I want to talk to you guys this week uh, about something that just occurred to me. It's about living your most authentic life, right? And I was listening to, oh, two or three different things this week. And one of them was something with Jordan Peterson and some things just a little bit, just to kind of sharpen the pencil here in the old brain. Because listening to people that are smarter than you lots of times is helpful, and luckily that's easy for me. <laughs> I could, there's so many people smarter than me. And you know what he was talking about, and it really caught my eye, is that you really have to be able to speak what you believe. As we've said here before, the most damaging thing that can happen to a person is to say that something is true or agree with something that they know not to be true. This is the hallmark of a dictatorial or tyrannical society, when the people that live in that society are forced to say things they know not to be true or go along with or agree with things they know are not to be true. The other part of that is that it's, it's damaging to the person when they're not allowed to speak what they believe. It's also damaging to society because one of the things that we don't talk about as much with free speech, and I like to bring it up here, is people have something stupid to say, you'd like to identify them too. You don't want people lurking in the shadows and don't saying anything uh, that have some whack job idea. Now, we see plenty of whack job idea that love to be on TV, mainly from Congress. And uh, now we see it in our state capitals and most of the time from our city councils. You need to hear that. You have to be able to identify those folks so that you can decide how you want to view their opinion on stuff. So that's important. But the other thing that's important to yourself is simply to be able to feel some authenticity in your life, to feel like that you're not putting a front out there that people don't see you in a way that you're not comfortable with, that you believe things that you'd love to say, but you're not so sure how they're going to be received. Now, we all know that we have to edit our speech and sometimes you know, our opinions from time to time just to keep polite society. And there's obviously things that may pop into your head in, in the moment from anger or whatever it may be that shouldn't be said and you don't really mean. So those things have to be taken into account. 
But as much as possible, we have to be able to speak what we believe. Now, that's a lot harder now than it used to be because people are punished for it so thoroughly. And the number of people who can actually say what they believe and not suffer consequences is relatively few. And most of those people have money and position such that they don't worry too much about what happens. Oh, they may have a, a rough time of it, you know, on social media or people taking, talking about them or this or that, but they're not going to lose their house. Their business isn't going to go under. Uh, they have enough money and whatever else that makes a person able to be stable so they're able to speak out. The problem is that the vast majority of people aren't that way. You may have your own business, but if you're in certain locations, uh, if you say what you believe about something, even if you don't believe it's all that radical, people may organize some pretty nasty things against you. Now, I think it's just okay if you don't like the owner of a business, you don't want to do business with them. That's fine for whatever reason. But to go out of your way to organize other people to go and try and harm this person's business, which may be just fine otherwise just because you don't like some other views they have that doesn't have anything to do with their business. It seems wrong to me, and we're seeing that every day. And it keeps people fearful about saying what they believe and feeling authentic about what's going on. So it, it's easy for me to say that you should speak out, but I also recognize you have to use a little judgment in that about the audience and the things that you're going to say. And you have to think things through, you know, um, one of my old bosses used to say that some people have a think-say problem, right? There's that, it's a direct connection. As soon as they think it, they say it. That's not a good thing. We all think things in moments, and we shouldn't say them, because if we consider them, we go, well, that's not right, or that came out the wrong way. We all know what that's like, to say something and then hear it and realize, well, that's, that's not right. <laughs> that's not what I meant to say. Um, and so that momentary little filter in there to see now what does that really sound like you need that if you have the think say problem that's a tough one but i just do believe that people become depressed when they're not able to speak out so if nothing else seek out people that at least you can speak out with and feel good about it to have discussions to do things that help sharpen your viewpoint because remember when we discuss our positions and even if someone else has an, a different position the discussion of it sharpens your understanding of your own position. This is one of uh, John Stuart Mill's defenses of free speech that he points out, that when you put an idea out and have to defend it or discuss it with someone else, that it makes you understand your argument better, it sharpens your delivery of it, and you may modify it as you hear it, and you may actually take some of the other person's ideas and incorporate them. And if you keep everything to yourself... That doesn't happen. You're not able. You're not able to grow those things. So find people that you can speak with, and feel comfortable with, and test out your opinions and what you believe. And if they're similar, like most of us seek out people who have similar ideas, more so now than in the past, and that's that's a sad thing, really. Then it'll help sharpen it. And and you know, a vigorous discussion with someone who doesn't agree a hundred percent with you is important to refining your own point of view. But I, I was thinking about this because I was looking at uh, poor Mike Lindell. You know, Mike Lindell from My Pillow has just gotten hammered for his belief in the problems with the 2020 election. 
Now, he was certainly out there and saying a lot of things and making a lot of claims, and you know that's his right to say. However, he has been completely hammered on by his suppliers. Well, not his suppliers, but his retailers. Most of the big box stores have gotten rid of his products. He's having a hard time finding a place to sell them. He's trying to do it more online. There's still places that have them. But places like Walmart, uh, Slumberland, I was reading an article here. Of course, Bed Bath & Beyond is gone now. But places like that said they wouldn't uh, sell any my pillow products uh, because of what he was saying about the election. Now, what does that got to do with your pillow? I guess someone can make a connection. Well, we're giving him money, and he's saying things we don't like. Well, that's fine. Then the customer can choose that. And if sales plummet because of that, then I suppose the retailers ought to be able to take it off the shelves and replace it with something that makes more money. But I don't think that's what happens. I think they take them off the shelf because they get complaints from some activists, and that's it. I would be very interested to see if there was a serious plummet in sales on the MyPillow items and that caused these guys to take it off the shelves, or was it just purely political reason? By that, I mean people complaining or the politics of the company itself that's selling it. I guess if they're not comfortable with it themselves and it's a private company, that's their choice. But you ought to at least know what's going on. But he claims that he's lost $100 million in sales because of this stuff. And he's still being sued by Dominion, you know, the same people that were suing Fox. And they're suing him and his company for... uh Let's see, not a lot. It's just, it's all $1.3 billion. Yeah, that's, you know. So you can see what can happen to people who have a business. But as a person, you have to be able to find people in places that you can speak your mind or you feel miserable. All right, here we are back again. Oh, let's see. I tried to find something uplifting, but it's pretty hard to find out there, folks. This is Rick Wagner again, getting it right all across western Colorado, eastern Utah on the radio, and then a lot of places on the Internet. And, uh, of course, the ships at sea. We can't forget them. And I just appreciate your listenership. But uh, let's uh, let's just get, you know, get some of it over. Let's rip the Band-Aid off on some of this. Many of you, like myself, have a very old-fashioned and apparently outdated idea about how you should live. For instance, you think you should be relatively safe based on the taxes you pay and the freedoms you've given up to the government when you go outside your house, and that if someone does something to you, they steal from you, they injure you, they do something along those lines, that an appropriate punishment will be employed on them. Employed on them? Yeah, it doesn't make, that's not good English. But will be used. Now, we realize that's, when we stop and listen to the news media and stuff like that, that is a tremendously outdated idea, and probably, it, it's probably some sort of phobic or ist. So, you know, there's many ists and uh, phobias out there. I can't even begin to list all of them, but it's probably two or three of them. And we need to discard those ideas because the idea that we have some sort of inherent right to safety because we pay a tremendous amount of what we earn to the government, and their first job, by the way, is personal safety and to ensure some way that we can be safe in the streets, that our businesses can operate, you know, stuff like that. Very old-fashioned ideas. Ideas that don't really occur to people in Congress or tech titans and stuff because they have their own protection. They don't have any of this stuff. Once again, we arrive at that kind of spot where 
people who don't have any relationship to the consequences of what they put out there are making laws and regulations and things like that. One of them that came up this week was something that I thought, it, it, it seems like a, a, a really bad joke, like something that you would see in a not particularly funny headline in the Babylon Bee or something. And this was from uh, the Post Millennial. And in California, it's California Democrats push judges to make race a factor in sentencing criminals. Huh. Well, that seems an interesting idea. What could that mean? Well, according to the story, California Democrats have proposed a bill that would require judges to consider a convicted criminal's race when determining prison out, prison sentences. The bill, which uh, came out of this California Reparations Task Force, which has just been going great, uh, let's see, it's Assembly Bill, what, 852. And here's some of the language. It said it would require courts, whenever they have discretion to determine a sentence, to consider the disparate impact on hysterically disenfranchised and system-impacted populations with intent of rectifying racial bias. So, if I understand this right, and it's hard for me because I, I don't I don't have the brain power of these California Democrats, but it sounds to me that, like, you want to have a different sentencing scheme for people in some sort of protected class that you're establishing based on things that you believe were done in the past. So that this person's behavior, we're talking about behavior now, is somehow excused because of things that were done to people that were pro- may or may not even be slightly related to this person, in many cases, substantial time ago. That seems pretty much it. So your idea is to cure the sins of the past, many of which that are not completely understood or articulated properly by some of these folks, by allowing people now to not receive the same level of punishment as everyone else for the same thing. Now, once again, this strikes me as being well, blatantly unconstitutional because one of the most important parts of the Constitution says something about that you are entitled to an equal protection under the law. And the Democrats have sued people blind using that equal protection clause. This doesn't seem to have any relation to equal protection. It is unequal protection, isn't it? And it and it's seriously proposed by these people as something that's going to somehow set the scales right for things they believe happened. I don't know. I mean, they've got a lot of crazy stuff. This reparations task force also asked the state lawmakers in California to do legislation that would eliminate interest accrued on unpaid child support payments, say that the laws are discriminatory against black residents because of the disproportionate amount of Americans who are burdened with child support debt. They are recommending, this is from the same story, the state forgive all debt associated with unpaid child support for the state's black residents. Mm-hmm. Let's see. The group also is demanding to have veto power over the state's real estate decisions in order to give uh, minorities priority in the renting and buying markets. Yeah. Okay. I don't think I need to comment on those. You can just pretty much, uh, what they say is pretty much comment enough. But the one thing is, in fact, a bill, and that is the uh, taking race into consideration when you're sentencing folks. 
I don't know how many different ways to say that that is nuts and goes against every strand of the Constitution. And, you know, what I hear a lot is this three-fifths compromise that, you know, has been misrepresented. And, we, and most of you know what in the... The idea in the Constitution was that, that it, at the time, that slaves would be represented by three-fifths of their number. This was not to decide that they were three-fifths of a regular person, but it was a way to keep the southern states from becoming overrepresented by getting the population counted of people who were unable to vote or had no rights of their own, which would mean that all the voting, the supposed voting power, the power of that population, would reside in a very small amount of people in these southern states or a smaller amount of people than it should. And for that reason, that was the compromise they came up with. It has nothing to do with them believing that you know, that the slaves were three-fifths of a real person. That's not why it's out there, and you, you guys know that. But some of these ideas are, are so twisted that, and people don't know their history, that this is what happens. And it has nothing to do with how terrible a thing slavery was and how, yeah, we have had serious discrimination in this country, but we've made enormous steps. One of the unfortunate things out there is that the steps we've made in the last 50 years or 20 years especially, uh, if you talk to people now, they, they've forgotten all of them. Late, late millennials and Gen Zers think this is like one of the worst times ever for those relations. And it's just not true. They just don't have any knowledge of what's happened before. And this is the kind of thing that happens. And this idea that somehow you do something now that's with a person or a group that is totally unrelated in many instances, even even by relationship, the family relationship, you don't even know, uh, to what was done in the past, is somehow setting things right? I don't really understand how you come to that conclusion. I understand why people want it, because they get something. I mean, and no group of people is going to turn that down. But it just goes on and on, and it's it's very sad because the the assumptions it makes about some of the populations out there are just wrong. They're not equal assumptions, are they? They are. They're trying to say that, in essence, that without our help, these populations cannot prosper, and of course they can. All of these disparate ethnicities are just as able to function at a high level as anybody else. And if you're stupid enough to think that somehow the color of someone's skin makes them less of something, then I don't want to tell you. That's just not true. But to identify this and to keep pushing that button to to single people out creates problems. It separates them. I mean, it makes this whole country a bunch of tribes. And you cannot survive as a nation without some commonality between all of the people. And we're losing that. There are so many groups out there that 
want really almost nothing to do with the United States, yet they live in the United States and benefit from what it is. And many of them don't even know what it would be like to live someplace else. And many of them do not know the sacrifices and what we've gone through in all the races and throughout the history of the country to make some progress here. They don't know that either. So we're in the grips of some just very... I, I don't know if they're brain dead or what the problem is, but we have to get very serious about equality for everybody, especially before the law. The punishment should not be braced in any way on race, ethnicity, uh, any of that stuff. It should be based on your history of prior offenses and the seriousness of the crime you have committed. Beyond that, other factors should not come into play. I mean, sometimes the feelings of the victims and things like that should be considered, but other factors like this, I don't see any way it's not a big problem. Just something to think about these people's thought patterns on Oh, yeah, we're back, folks. Thanks for hanging around. Appreciate that. Rick White here getting it right. You're a political Viking out there being the disruptive influence that I hope I am. Not in your life, but uh, let's say to the status quo of today, perhaps is the best way to look at it. Just a little bit. I don't uh, think myself a huge piece out there, but everybody does their part. Try and do a little bit of mine. I know you guys try to do what you can every day. It's uh, hard to find the time when we're out. You know, trying to make a living and doing all these kinds of things. This has always been the problem with conservatives and, well, Republicans in many ways as well. I mean, that, uh, you know, usually interested in having a, a job and providing for things, having a family, uh, trying to get out, enjoy yourself, not spend your time uh, making signs and protesting and getting online and uh, threatening people and uh, calling the people names and so forth. So uh, it's tough when uh, there's a whole culture out there that seems to be engaged in that. I wanted to talk about that a little bit today, too. Um, we're on, by the way, we're here at uh, 1192.7 and 980 and 101.3. And, of course, we're on the Internet and uh, podcasting and the ships at sea. So thanks a lot for your listenership. I do appreciate it. You know, we've been talking about this kind of thing today, and I, I've been concerned about something for a while, and it floats around in my head. There's plenty of room in there, so it just floats around about this uh, therapeutic way we talk about things anymore. And I decided to, to think about that a little bit more, and I wrote a little something for webpage, the show page, the rickwagnershow.com, uh, or politicalviking.com if you get to us from our Facebook page. Because, and here's what set me off, was Geraldo. I think it was Thursday when Geraldo Rivera, is there any other, uh, was on The View and, uh, boy, he's pretty shaggy, too. I mean, I don't know if he's going full uh, full 60s hippie on us, what the story is. But anyway, he was on there complaining. As you know, he's no longer on Fox. And uh, he claims he was sort of fired from the Five because he didn't get along with the other members. Now, if you watch the Five on Fox and you saw he didn't get along well with Gutfeld, which I thought Gutfeld was usually right. He didn't get along well with uh, Jesse. I'm not sure I'd get along with Jesse either. He's a little too smug. But anyway... He was on The View. So you know right away what he's doing. This is this is his uh, revenge tour, sort of. And he was talking about, uh, well, first off, he can never forgive Tucker Carlson for the way he was talking about January 6th, as though Tucker was uh, trying to uh, somehow defend the Civil War or something. It was kind of sad. 
But the other thing was uh, he started using this language and he had toxic relationship. He had toxic relationship with the male co-hosts on there and this and that. And his whole kind of approach was this sort of, you know, victimhood, poor me, sort of in this therapeutic language, toxic relationship, you know. I mean, before you know it, you're into the, oh, the disc, the discombobulation of the power structure is what is, you know, you, you, you lose yourself in this nonsense. And I think it's a really dangerous thing to let an entire society become obsessed with this kind of nonsense in terms of talking about things. So I went ahead and, and I, I did some thinking about it. And I wrote something and I, so I put it up on the website. It's called, I wrote it called The Perils of a Therapeutic Society. And, and I said that, you know, that we had this rapid evolution of this, this idea, this movement that's centered around perpetual emotional comfort, uh, you know, your own self-esteem over self-improvement and coddling people, essentially. You know, we see that now with children that are, no matter how old they are, are still kind of children, you know, and not confronting, you know, life's challenges. Because life is challenging. And not only is it that way just because of the way it is, but it serves a purpose. And we've all had challenges in our life. I, for one, want no more. I've had plenty, and I don't want any more. I think I've learned my lesson, okay? But people have to go through things like that. And if it doesn't, it diminishes our vitality and our individuality and spirit. Uh, and it certainly creates citizens that are not tuned in to a society that has to work to move forward because their own personal comfort and situation is by far the most important thing. And not in the Adam Smith invisible hand way where everybody does something that's good for them and it moves society forward. No, this is a different thing. This is the idea that you want society to do everything for you. You're not even doing anything for yourself and inadvertently moving society forward as though the invisible hand kind of discusses. You want society to treat you differently. So you have, that, that's different. You know, it's, it's a narcissism in an interesting way. Uh, it's a victim narcissism. You, you like that because you're able then to attract things. You, you attract the idea that, oh, you're somehow a victim and we all need to help you and there's a tension there and so forth. What's sad is there's lots of real victims out there in society that don't get any attention and some of them that probably should. Some of these victims of this crime wave we talked about earlier, all this other kinds of stuff. This seems to be diminished. They seem to dis- disappear from the equation, don't they? Uh, if you're a victim of crime in some of these cities, uh, we don't even hear about you. What we hear about is the, the criminal and uh, what's happened to him or not happened to them. And the victim and how that's affected them doesn't seem to enter into the equation very much at all. So this is just sort of a reverse of the invisible hand. It's it's trying to acquire things in society, not trying to build things that you want and move society forward. You want to simply absorb things from society, be given things, things like that. You know, narcissism is an interesting thing. Uh, it, it can be pathological, sure. But I always analogize it to uh, House of Mirrors. This is what, and I've probably said this before. And it's the idea that if you're a narcissist, and you know, everything is about you. And you're very fragile because since everything's about you, you're easily offended, and you have to be right all the time. But beyond that, you cannot see any situation without seeing somehow reflection of yourself, right? So everywhere you look is like this house of mirrors. Everywhere you look, there you are. So you, if you have this 
fragile ego that, that a lot of narcissists have, uh, as you look at everything, if there's something in that picture, even though you projected yourself into it, that undermines some idea you have or something you imagine about your, you're very offended and go really off on it. And this is what's interesting with a lot of people when you're discussing things with them that you think are sort of just ideas and you want to have a discussion about, oh, you know, philosophy, essentially. And you don't realize that their whole ego is tied up into this idea and it's become narcissistic. They they invested themselves in this idea. Now, this idea isn't just an idea that they're interested in when talk about. This idea is their self-identification. Now, climate change, no more oil, who knows what the case might be. And their vehemence in defending this, their ideas, or attacking you because you don't believe them, is often strange. You don't. Where did this come from? You don't understand why they're so upset. When you thought you were having a discussion about a concept from your point of view, and they have a point of view, and you thought somebody could discuss it. Well, see, it's not from their point of view. It's completely about them. They self-identify with that. They've projected themselves into that thing, and they've acquired their identity through that. And it's self-fulfilling, and it's self-centered. So that's what brings people to do crazy things in, in our minds anyway, because of causes that we don't really feel are should be that big a deal, or that they're very very thin on proof. And just the idea that you're saying, I'm not sure that that's correct, sends people into a rage. And when you stop and realize you're not talking about a philosophical concept or a cultural idea or a political idea that's open for discussion, you're talking about the core center of these people have projected themselves into these ideas. And, of course, that brings up this whole problem with this therapeutic society is that it encourages sort of perpetual victimhood. If you don't believe what they believe and have a counter-argument, they're now a victim, and they're unsafe. And you're somehow making them feel unsafe because you're challenging them. And they don't want to be challenged on it. Sometimes they'll lash out like Antifa or something. Other times they'll just call you an aggressor, uh, toxic, of course, is a, is a great phrase for that, and throw up all sorts of this language that somehow places them as though you're attacking them and they're just simply at your mercy and they need to be helped out by everybody else to jump on you. And all this is focused on this idea of this suffering that they believe they're going through because of this idea they have. They believe they're suffering because the climate is changing. They believe they're suffering because we're pumping oil out of the ground. They believe they're suffering because the ocean might be a degree warmer. They've taken all of these things and projected themselves into it. So there's no individual responsibility. They are simply part of the oppressed class. And their personal feelings are what controls this whole thing. Uh, it's all personal to them. And, and that, unfortunately, stops any personal growth, doesn't it? Because you somehow have to be uncomfortable and defend your ideas and go out there, as we discussed earlier in the show, and defend the ideas and sharpen them and be open to discussion. Otherwise, you're not forced into any discomfort by trying to defend these ideas, and there's no challenge. And so you develop all this language that's developed in this movement, this therapeutic movement. 
uh, you know, toxic masculinity, like, like we said. I mean, toxic pops itself up in all sorts of things. Hypermasculine, you know, those are these, seems like the masculine piece gets all sorts of things out there. But there's all this idea, and it's all sort of a third person thing, too. And, you know, that, that it's just this thing that's going on out there. It's nebulous, but it's wildly oppressive. It's systemic, whatever you want to say. Because it's hard to fight that. Say, well, it's systemic. It isn't just you. It's a system you're part of. You could say, well, I don't feel that way. And even if they want to give you the benefit of that, say, yeah, but you're part of the system and it's systemic. What are you supposed to do with that? Well, what you do with that, if you're on that side of it, is you just realize that you're a victim of it and that you are being personally threatened is how you want to encourage it. Also, it, in a sort of a... uh, callous way. I mean, it allows people to use that against other folks that they disagree with. They say that they're being, you know, they feel unsafe, all that kind of stuff. It distorts reality. And it it controls discussions because you're no longer comfortable discussing things with this because you don't understand where all this argument is coming from. And the vehemence of it throws you off. So reality gets distorted. Discussion gets kind of thrown up in the air and it stifles dissent because you just want to, nobody wants to get into it. So they win by sort of being difficult. Right? You know how sometimes when you work in, a, in an environment and there's someone that isn't doing a lot of work, but they have such a difficult personality that you just don't want to go and have them do something because it's just going to be a pain. So you just do it yourself. And they end up doing less because now what? They're being rewarded for their difficulty, aren't they? We've all worked with people like that. You know, you don't want to go over there and say, hey, can you do this or this and that? You, It's just easier to do a lot of the tasks yourself. So they, they usually get less work. And by the way, they complain about the work they do get, even though it's less than other people probably. Um, and th- this is sort of what this goes on. And we have all of these new terms out there, these self-diagnosed you know, ailments that people have that, they don't see as something that is needs to be cured or that, you know, like a legitimate disease per se um, or a physical disease, let's say, but more of like a badge of honor, you know, so that you can parade yourself around. How, why else do you think when you read these sometimes salacious columns in newspapers and so forth about uh, one celebrity after another comes forward about the terrible things that happen to them in their mind? When they were younger or on a movie set 15 years ago. So often they involve people that are no longer around to even refute these claims. And others are things that you think, you know, I, I think you purposely put yourself in that position and now you're complaining about it. I, I saw some Hollywood actress the other day complaining about, well, I, I was not comfortable with this role because it was there was some nudity involved or something. And you think, well, you know, you have some control over that, right? I mean, not even under the old Hollywood system where they would blacklist you, per se. Uh, well, not blacklist you, but blackball you then. I think blacklisting is more associated with a communist kind of thing. But, you know, you're, you have some. And so but when you read it, there's absolutely no personal involvement. It's like they're not even there. It's, they talk about them, but they talk about that they just, you know, they had no will. They have no general will in any piece of it. And they speak about it as they're totally without recourse. You know, that's not exactly true, but it makes them seem as, oh, oh, you know, they're just like us. They've struggled. So that's part of what they want. And the other part is that 
it lets them, one, you're reading about it. Uh, so, you know, publicity is a big part of any celebrity's arsenal of trying to stay relevant. And it also gives them a little bit of leverage. You know, when they're working with something else, they can say, well, you know, I've been through this before. Now, also, it can make you seem difficult. <laughs> and you, you possibly are. But many times, maybe you're not difficult, but this is just a way to discuss things and put you in a victimized class, which appears to be, you know, kind of the, uh, the, the new trend these days, right? Sort of like having certain kind of clothes. And it reduces the credibility of people who have had real challenges, real mental health struggles, real depression and anxiety and all those kinds of things. When people that don't seem to have any of those uh, talk about them, and usually far in the past, I mean, you know, this is what I went through. So it's really hard to, in any way, go back and check some of these stories. But Which is not to say some of these people have not gone through these things. I mean, you know, a lot of these mental struggles are very widespread, and they are. And some of them come out and discuss them, I do believe, to try and bring a little attention to a certain problem. And I... and. They are those out there. I'm not saying this is universal. There are some people that are trying to do some good this way. But lots of times it just seems superfluous. And, you know, everybody thinks, you know, in the world that happiness is like the ultimate. And we'd like to be happy, but we also want to be fulfilled. Because you can't be truly happy if you're not fulfilled. And the way you get fulfilled is by becoming a whole person. And you don't become a person with character and that, that kind of person without some struggle and acquiring some re- resilience. And it gives you some self-fulfillment, right? Because, you know, life isn't always, or usually even, but certainly isn't always fair or just for that matter. But, you know, our ability to improve ourselves and try and improve people around us is what develops character. An experience, and that's difficult sometimes because it's not easy. But most people that have gone through something will tell you that they have they were, they were better for it. And this therapeutic society that we find ourselves in, like you know, everybody's a victim, and there's a toxic this and a hyper that, and I feel unsafe uh, because someone spoke on campus about something I disagreed with. All this stuff undermines your society and and you just you get a society like i said that is uh you know excessively coddled and weak um and easily offended uh and concentrated on your own suffering imagined or real and so that's really something that that's coming out of these movements and it gets encouraged by modern politics sorry it takes a long year around on that because by dividing people up into these categories, that's not enough, is it? Then you have to discuss with each category that you've divided. This is if you are trying to divide and conquer thing like the modern progressive wing of the Democratic Party has been doing. Is the next thing is once you've sliced off that group as you're, in a, you're this is you, this is your group and your identity is this group. It's not you as an individual. It's you as part of this group. And then you have to turn them against the rest of society. You have to, you increase their victimhood. Because if you increase their victimhood, then they are more able to be manipulated. 
and they're more able to be guided, which is a form of manipulation, politically. Because now they're listening to you, and you're able to say not only are they victims, but those guys over there are the ones that are victimizing you. And many of them didn't even realize they were victims before. Now they do. I mean, look what we see when we do these surveys now. Many people, particularly late millennials and Gen Zers, I talked about this earlier, think that, you know, like I said, that they think that things are worse now than they were, you know, in the 50s or 60s, or they're the same. They have, first off, they have no historical reference. Good reason for not teaching it if you want to do this to people. And the other is that they just hear it all the time because you slice these wedges out of society and then turn them against the larger portion of society. And eventually, when you get enough slices off of it, you have a voting block, right? All which are only united by their victimhood and oppression that they see from people that oppose the party's political positions. Now, how does that benefit society as a whole in the long run? And I leave that out there because I think that it's really important to think about. I don't really have an answer because I don't, I can't come up with anything. You know, usually when something's kind of destructive, you can also think, well, this also could be helpful to some extent. I haven't really come up with it. If there is, I'd be interested to know what it is because I, I feel like this is just perennially, uh, a bad idea. And it is, you know, a death spiral for a nation and to some extent a civilization to do this kind of thing to itself. And it is sacrificing the future to hold on to power for now. Now, what that future will look like if you keep going this direction, it, there's a lot of different scenarios, and almost none of them are good. And by that, I mean are not as free and prosperous as they are now. They all tend towards something ending up as either chaotic or overly dictatorial. And I don't think we want either one of those things. I don't see a scenario where this kind of manipulation and trying to get people to think of themselves constantly as victims and talk in this therapeutic language and then that being encouraged by politicians leads to a society that makes people more free, more prosperous, and able to live their lives as they choose, certainly within certain boundaries. We know what those are. Uh, the purpose is to have as few boundaries as possible so that what people choose to do with their lives does not harm everybody around them. But beyond that, we'd like to sort of keep some elbow room in our society. And when you think like this and you start carving these things up, that leads to just the opposite. It leads to either the war of all against all, as Hobbes would say, or a very controlled, very unhappy society. Anyway, I'll see you guys next week. Just something to think about.